0: Thank you. I I love that organ and piano together. Very nice. Life is full of choices, isn't it? Choices, choices. We're asked this morning to make a choice, to make some choices. And the Bible is a book of choices from beginning to end. We read the story of Adam and Eve, and they were given a choice. Do not eat fruit from that tree. Pretty simple pretty simple there are a lot of complicated decisions in life but there are also a lot of binary choices eat or don't eat of the tree Abraham's whole life was or the part of his life that we read about in the book of Genesis was a series of choices trust God by faith and do what God told him to do even though some of the things God told him to do appeared a bit absurd or don't do them. Find a reason. Find an excuse. I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I'm too afraid. But Abraham made choice after choice. Joshua, at the end of his life, addressing Israel as they had just moved into their new land, said, choose this day whom you will serve. Serve the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or serve the gods of this land. Choose. Choose this day, whom you will serve. Paul said, I urge you, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by allowing God to renew your whole way of thinking, renew your mind, a choice. Do I live my life to please people and to conform to the society around me? Or regardless of the society and the people around me, I choose to allow God to transform my life into the beautiful thing he created it to be. And that's what Jesus basically was talking about in our passage this morning from Matthew chapter 6. I urge you to turn there because it's a rather simple passage, but it's a profound passage. I believe Matthew chapter 6, in terms of how we live our lives, is one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. It is, as you know, part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, St. Augustine said the Sermon on the Mount is the perfect measure of the Christian life. The Sermon on the Mount is filled with all the precepts by which the Christian life is formed. And what Jesus did with the Sermon on the Mount is introduced this whole idea of a new covenant. Multiple times he said, in the past you have heard from our fathers, but I say to you, So he was instructing us about how to live our life. In chapter 5, the first movement in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is laying down these rather amazing ways of living. Choose this way of life. Choose to do this and not that. And some of them are pretty heady. Some of them are very difficult to get our minds around, to get our heads into, to to live by. And so chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount. The second movement in the Sermon on the Mount is t- teaching us how do we live that kind of life? How do I measure up to this, this incredible, uh, beautiful way of living that Jesus described in that first movement of the Sermon on the Mount? And, 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 and that's why as we go through life and we think about our life and, and, and what it means and, and what's driving it, And what are our core values? And what do we think about when we're forced with a difficult choice or a complex decision? What drives that decision-making power? And Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 tells us, this is what must drive your life and direct your life. If you're going to live the life God intends us to live. I'm going to pick it up. In, uh, last year, I preached a sermon on the first 18 verses of Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to go to verse 19. I'm sure all of you remember oh. <laughs> that sermon. Actually, I know I could preach the same sermon six months or not all of you remember the stories. But let me kid myself. Let me live in my uh, dream world. But Jesus in, gave us a choice, gave us a choice, or make, to make a decision between two choices. Verse 19, he said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up treasure in heaven where neither moth nor vermin destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus gave us two options. Lay up treasure on earth or lay up treasure in heaven. But he commanded us about those two choices. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but do lay up treasures in heaven. Now he commands by his authoritative role, but he explains by his grace. Why should I not lay up treasure on earth? Because he said that's where where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes talked about the vanity of storing up treasures on earth. You can't keep them. As someone said, you've never seen a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse. You can't take it with you. It's a losing game to spend your whole life for something as important but ultimately as frivolous as money. So Jesus said, I'm giving you a far greater option. Do lay up treasure in heaven. Explanation, because that's where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. One of Jim Elliot's great quotes is, he is a fool who will not give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Jesus is saying, why would you invest your life in something you can't keep? When I'm ordering you, I'm commanding you to invest your life in something you can never lose. Well, the question comes, how do I lay up treasure on earth and how do I lay up treasure in heaven? Well, the first 18 verses of chapter 6 tell us how we lay up treasure on earth and how we lay up treasure in heaven. Chapter 6, verse 1, and I've preached this, so I'm just going to give you a synopsis right now because it's crucial to our passage this morning. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before people to be seen by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. He said, if you live your life for the praise of people, if you live your life for for momentary, short-term gratification, you are thereby forfeiting the opportunity to lay up treasure in heaven. Beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And then he illustrated it three times. He illustrated it by giving, he illustrated it by praying, and he illustrated it by fasting. And in each of those illustrations, he said the first way, if, if you give in such a way that you, uh, the, the image images sound a trumpet before you, let everybody know, look how generous I am, look how much I'm giving. I want you to recognize that I'm a generous person. And so you give your gift. And people come and say, wow, are you generous. What a godly man you must be to be so generous. God said, did you appreciate that praise? You say, yeah. God says, good. That's all you're going to get out of it. Paid in full. You did it to be praised. You got praised. Done deal. He says, but when you give, let your giving be in secret. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. As your hand is, right hand is writing the check, don't let your left hand say, Whoa! Boy, are we generous. Man, a lot. You throw your shoulder out of joy, patting yourself on. He, don't even you be overly... But let your giving be in secret, and the one who sees in secret will reward you. Now, some, past, some translations say, He who sees what you do will reward you that's not in the text. The text says, he who sees will reward you. Because what God sees, what God is most interested in, is not that you gave or how much you gave. He's interested in why you gave. Did you give to honor God or did you give to impress people or yourself? The same with praying. Don't Make these big flowery prayers and practice your theology so everybody knows how godly your prayer was. Same with fasting. So what Jesus is calling us to do is is to live our lives in such a way that, that, that we honor God and that God sees us and God is proud of us and God is pleased with us. And the eternal reward is that I am living my life in a way that honors and pleases my heavenly father whether there's going to be some special crown in heaven that's that's kind of mystery mysterious but what i do know and what many of you know is that when we do something that glorifies god it does something to us and so that's why jesus said now realizing that you can live your life for the praise of people for a short term Uh, benefit, or you can live your life for eternal reward, for eternal blessing by God. I command you, do not lay up treasure for yourself on earth, but do lay up treasure in heaven. And then he upped the ante in the next verse, verse 21. Here's why it's important that you do not lay up treasure on earth, but that you do store up treasure in heaven, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you love supremely is what you'll give your best attention to. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What do you love supremely, Jesus is saying. He's talking about core values, core values. A core value is a non-negotiable conviction that you will die rather than violate. A deeply held, non-negotiable belief or conviction that you will not violate. When I'm teaching leadership classes, I teach about core values. I say, how many of you would pour boiling water on your pet dog? I say, oh, what? How many of you would torture your grandmother? I can't even imagine that. That's a core value. How many of you would go a week without praying? Do you have the same emotional response to that that you do about torturing your grandmother? Then a life of prayer is not a core value. Being faithful in giving, tithing, generous giving, is that a core value? Is the idea of of being careless about our resources, our financial resources, easier to do than to torture your grandmother? Core value, systemic values, these core values, these are, we call them systemic values because out of these core values, out of these systemic values, other values emerge. And what Jesus is saying, I want to talk to you, he says, about a core value, because what you value is what will determine your life. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And your treasure is your core values. Those deeply held, non-negotiable convictions. That's what drove Abraham when life really got difficult and there were times in Abraham's life it was hard to follow God but it was a non-negotiable fact in Abraham's life that he would not violate what God told him to do he did at times he was human but he asked forgiveness and was restored and in the New Testament, Abraham is called the friend of God because he knew what his treasure was. His treasure, his deepest passion was to serve and love and follow his God. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Laying up treasure in heaven by saying, my motive, my driving motive, the thing that drives and directs my life, is my deeply held passion to obey and please and honor my God. And then a further explanation, verses 22 and 23. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is clear, if your eye is right, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of evil. And what he's saying is, if, if say, you're colorblind. And you're seeing the light, but you're not getting a true picture of it. And the way you define colors is black and gray <laughs> and white. And, and it's distorted. And he's saying the same way, if, you're, if your heart is in the wrong place, your life can be easily distorted. It can get out of whack. And we hear some of the terrible crimes that people commit. Because they love the wrong things. They love the wrong things. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. You can have both, but you can't serve both. Now, I had an epiphany Thursday night about this passage. This passage isn't about money. Jesus used three illustrations in the preceding context. Yes, about giving, but about praying, and about fasting, just as illustrations of the many, many, many things that can capture our life. And when I read in commentaries, this is Jesus teaching on money, I say, I think you missed the point. Yeah, he talks about money. Money is a major driver of passion for many people. And so he said, let me talk where many of you live but don't limit it there. This is about what controls our life. For some, it's money, for some, it's fame, for some, it's relationships. There's all kinds of things that can drive our life. And Jesus said there's only one thing that should drive your life, and that's your passion for God, your desire to please him. This Thursday, I was up in Santa Monica. My son, Chris, is designs and builds lights. And he had a booth at the International... Well, I wrote it down somewhere. The International Internal Design Association. Sorry, <laughs> right. yeah. Not only do I not remember, I can't read my own writing. And 500 exhibitors from around the world. And they gave awards, and these are the Grammys, these are the Oscars for his business. So, they award for the best lighting booth. There are 500 from around the world, the biggest and the best in the business. He won the award for the lighting we were thrilled. The last award was the overall Big Kahuna, Buzzle Studios. We cheered and we yelled. He had friends there. and Mel and I were dancing up and down and hugging. It was fantastic. Well, after the dust settled and we got home, Chris said, you know the best thing about that was to see how proud and pleased you and Mel were that we won that award. And he said, it breaks my heart that mom wasn't here because she would have been so proud. So we celebrated that. And then I went into my room there in Chris's house, and pulled out my Bible and my notes because I had to work on a sermon for Sunday. And I was reading this passage and thinking and meditating and praying over it. It occurred to me this passage is about so much bigger than money so much bigger than money. And as I was feeling how happy I was and how proud I was of Chris's hard work and what he had done, I thought, when is the last time God said to himself, I am so proud of Sid. He brings me so much joy because he did what he did for me he did that in that way he spent the extra time on it he invested the extra energy in it because he wanted to please me he wanted to make me proud and Jesus is saying my friends that's what life is all about don't get sidetracked thinking that the the most impressive thing you can do is make a lot of money. The happiest, the thing that can make you happier than anything else is to make a lot of money or to build a lot of friends or to have a lot of fame or any of that stuff. In fact, seek first the kingdom of God, he said down here, and all these things will be added to you. So what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about elevating us, launching us into a level of life that is incomparable. It's a life whose reward is God saying, Thank you. I am pleased. I'm proud of you. Because I love you. The second epiphany was this speech that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't a fundraiser. He's talking about money here as the illustration. But he wasn't there to raise funds for a church or for a mission or for anything else for himself. You know why he said all this? Because he loves you. And it breaks his heart when the people he loves so much are wasting their life on anything less than honoring God. He can have your money, but not your heart. That's not what he wants. He wants your heart. And if he has your heart, he'll have your time, your talent, and your money. As Michael so profoundly reminded us two weeks ago, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. And how does God bless us and put things in our hands? He does it by our following his lead and doing what he teaches. Everything we have comes from him.